Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So it is commonly accepted that Luke is the author of the book of Acts. He's also the author of the Gospel of Luke. And he addresses both books to Theophilus. In Luke, he says, to the excellent Theophilus. It's not exactly certain who Theophilus is, but it's obviously someone of notable influence that Luke is addressing these books to. A lot of people speculate who this Theophilus was. Was he some kind of official for the Roman government? Was he quite high up in the ranks? Was he someone that commissioned Luke to write a detailed and accurate account of Christ and his interaction with his disciples, as well as the journeys and the missions of Paul the Apostle and the early church? Regardless of who Theophilus is, it's quite clear that Luke has presented a very detailed account here in the book of Acts of the life of the early church and in the life of Paul the Apostle. At the time, there was a lot of persecution against the church and a lot of accusations coming against the church and coming against Paul. Paul was involved in a lot of riots, or there was a lot of rioting that took place around Paul. Paul wasn't actually the cause of the riots. It was the religious people, the Pharisees, that stirred up the crowds. And so there was a lot of accusation coming against Paul and the early church. And so the book of Acts actually shows it from the perspective of the church and from Christians and from Paul's perspective. And it shows that actually he was innocent in all those riots. And it reveals who was actually behind the riots. And so in some sense, the book of Acts is a defense for the church and for Christians and for Paul the Apostle. It's a wonderful account and it gives us some incredible insights into the life of the early church. And so in chapter 1, Luke picks up here where Christ had risen from the dead. He'd been spending time with his disciples, teaching them about the kingdom and, uh, and then ascending into heaven. Verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And that would have been an incredible time, 40 days with the risen Lord, the glorified Christ. And he was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. And he would have been opening their eyes and giving them such insight and revelation. Verse 4, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so this was a promise that he had always told them when he was with them on earth, that when he ascends to heaven, he will send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. He is the spirit of the new covenant. He is the empowerment of the new covenant. And when Jesus was baptized by John, we know that the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit came down like a dove and rested upon him. And then he went into the wilderness full of the Spirit. He came out in the power of the Spirit and he went and did mighty miracles. And Jesus didn't rely on his divinity to heal the sick. He actually relied on faith. And he relied on the power of the Spirit. And Jesus said to his disciples, It is better that I go because then I'll send the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, The works that I have done, you will do, and greater works because I go to the Father and I'll send the Spirit. And so here was an incredible promise that one day in the future, when Jesus has ascended into heaven, he will send the Spirit. And the disciples and believers would receive the indwelling presence of God, God the Holy Spirit, 
And before the cross and the resurrection, the Holy Spirit couldn't dwell in believers because they were actually unholy, because the blood of bulls and goats could never wash away our sins. It only temporarily covered it. But through Christ's perfect sacrifice, all of our sins are washed away. And the blood of Jesus has made us holy and perfect and righteous. And so now the Holy Spirit can actually come and dwell inside of us as temples of the Holy Spirit. And so here Jesus is giving them a very important instruction saying, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit and you will be baptized in the Spirit. Now, they were believers. They believed in Christ. I believe they were born again after Christ had risen from the dead. He, he breathed on them and he said, receive my spirit. And that is the point. I believe they were born again. And yet they hadn't been filled with the spirit or they hadn't been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He hadn't come to live inside of them. And these are actually two different events, being born again, born of the Spirit, but then also being baptized in the Spirit. And that is when you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts talks about this a lot. And it is very clear doctrine. And there's a lot of people that confuse it and mess it up and don't understand it. But we're going to go through it in the book of Acts. And you'll see very clearly that there are two events. One is being born again by the Spirit. And the second is being filled with the Spirit or baptized in the Spirit. Now, those can happen at the same time. And we'll see in the book of Acts times when that does happen at the same time, like in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius's household. But then there's also places like Acts chapter 8, where the Samaritans receive Jesus and they get born again. But Philip calls for the apostles in Jerusalem to come up and to pray that they would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they hadn't been baptized in the Spirit yet. And so very clearly you can see two different events. And so I'm going to stand with the Word of God and what the Bible teaches about being born of the Spirit and being baptized in the Spirit. And so here these disciples were born of the Spirit, but Jesus said, wait for the baptism of the Spirit. And there was purpose for that. In fact, every believer needs to be baptized in the Spirit. And just because you're born again doesn't mean that you've been baptized in the Spirit. Just like these disciples, just because they were born again didn't mean they had been baptized in the Spirit. It is something very important. That is why Jesus told them not to leave Jerusalem until they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to find out why it is so important for the believer to be baptized in the Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? This shows that they were still waiting for a physical restoration of Israel. And they were still hoping that they would rule with Christ over Israel. And they were still missing the point that Jesus didn't come to restore Israel physically and to rule over Israel and to kick out the Roman foreign occupiers. Jesus had come to bring a spiritual kingdom here to earth. So that all of the nations of the world could have access to a spiritual kingdom and enter into the kingdom of God. And that only could happen through his death and resurrection so that we could believe in Jesus and be born again and therefore enter into the kingdom. Jesus said, unless you're born again, no one will enter the kingdom. So Jesus came to die for us and to rise again so we could be born again and enter into the kingdom. And this wasn't just for Israel. This was for the whole world because through Abraham's seed, which is Christ, all nations on earth will be blessed. And that is made righteous and be able to enter the kingdom. And so they still had the mindset that Jesus soon was going to rule over Israel. And Jesus was saying, I didn't come for that. And that is something that will happen one day in the future at the second coming of Christ. 
But I personally believe he still had to actually shift their mindsets from seeing just a physical kingdom to actually seeing a heavenly kingdom, a spiritual kingdom, an eternal kingdom, so that they wouldn't just be thinking Israel, but they would start thinking the whole world and reaching the whole world. And so he shifts their attention here to the Holy Spirit coming and the purpose for why the Holy Spirit comes. Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, that is not actually so important right now. That is not your priority. That shouldn't be your focus. Here, this is your focus, guys. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that was the promise of the Spirit and that was the purpose of the Spirit that you would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you in order to be a witness of Christ. We know that Jesus was empowered by the Holy Spirit and he went around doing good healing all that were oppressed by the devil, driving out sickness, driving out demons. And it was by the power of the Spirit. And through that, the kingdom of God was coming to people. And those signs and wonders and miracles, they all testified that Jesus was the Christ. And they witnessed to people that it was true. He was the Christ. And so he wasn't just speaking theories and just some message that was the same as every other message. No, he was speaking the message, the gospel. That Jesus is the Christ and you must turn from everything else and believe in him. And he didn't just say the message. He demonstrated the message. It came with power because Jesus is the name above every other name. Not only does he have the power to save you, but he has the power to heal you and set you free. And this is what Jesus demonstrated in his life. And this is what the early church was about to start demonstrating. And all of this power, signs and wonders, miracles, healings, this was going to testify that their message was true. That what they were saying, Jesus is the Christ. You need to believe in him. He has the power to save you. And what testifies to that is the signs and the wonders and the miracles. And unfortunately, so much of the church has just settled for theory Christianity and it's lacking the power of God. And that's because a lot of people and churches, they don't wait for the Holy Spirit. But Jesus said it's very important that you wait for the Holy Spirit. Don't go anywhere. Don't go out to Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the earth without the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit and you'll receive power and then go out and then you'll be effective in your witness and testimony of Christ. Verse 9, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So here they standing on the Mount of Olives and they watching Jesus being taken up into heaven on a cloud. All of a sudden, two angels appear standing next to them. And they said, why are you gazing and surprised that this is happening? Perhaps they were a little bit grieved, like, oh, no, he's leaving us. But actually, this was a great thing because he had said, when I go, when I send to heaven, then I will send the Holy Spirit. And so there was no reason to be sad or disillusioned of any sort because they had all these incredible promises. Not only did he say he was going to send the Spirit, but he also promised that he will return. 
that he's coming back as the triumphant conquering king and he's going to bring an end to this age and he's going to judge the nations of the world and his kingdom is going to rule forever and ever. And then here the angels are saying that the same way he left is the way he comes back. In other words, he's coming back on the clouds. Literally, Jesus, when he returns, he's going to come back in the clouds because that is how he was literally taken up and that is what the angel said he's literally going to come back that way verse 12 then they returned to jerusalem from the mount called olivet which is near jerusalem a sabbath day's journey away which is about half an hour's walk on the sabbath day that's all that you were allowed verse 13 and when they had entered they went up to the upper room where they were staying so they were staying in the upper room, perhaps the same place where they'd celebrated the Passover meal with Jesus. And this was the same place where the Holy Spirit was poured out. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And so these were like the hardcore followers of Christ, his disciples. We see that there's 120 of them. And these were the ones that Jesus had told, wait in Jerusalem. So they were there. They were waiting and getting ready for the Holy Spirit to come. And so they were all together. They met regularly. They were with one accord. There was a sense of unity amongst them. They would pray regularly together every day, fellowshipping together and just getting ready for the Holy Spirit. And we know that that was actually a 10-day period from when Jesus ascended to when the Holy Spirit was poured out was 10 days because he was with them after his resurrection for 40 days. And then we know that the day of Pentecost is actually 50 days after the Passover and Jesus was crucified on the Passover. So 50 days after that is when Pentecost would be. That's when the Holy Spirit was poured out. And so in these 10 days between when Christ ascended and when the Holy Spirit descended, there was 10 days. And in that time, they were all gathering together, waiting in anticipation of the Holy Spirit being poured out. Verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guard to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. Wow, Luke didn't hold back here in his accurate account of what happened. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their own language, Akeldama, which is field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, may his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. And so it was spoken and prophesied in the Psalms by David that this was going to happen, that Judas would betray Christ and that he would end up committing suicide and the money that was used to betray Christ would purchase this field. And this was a field of blood where they would bury foreigners and just criminals. And it was like a field of shame. And, and all of this was prophesied by King David. And then David actually said, let another one take his office. So Jesus had appointed 12 apostles to be witnesses 
of him, of his death and of his resurrection. And there was going to be 12 thrones in heaven where the apostles would sit on. And so Judas gave up his office for 30 pieces of silver. And so David said, let another one take his office. And so they were going to point someone else to take that place. Verse 21, so one of the men who had accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness of his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, Lord, who know the hearts of all, Show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. To go to his own place, I dare say, is a euphemism for hell. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. The lot fell on Matthias, and Matthias becomes one of the 12 apostles. It's a bit of an Old Testament thing. It's basically what you do when you don't have the Holy Spirit. And this was kind of God's way of speaking to them. And it just shows if they had the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit would have revealed which one. And so as soon as the Holy Spirit came, this whole thing of casting lots disappeared. It was obsolete. Now we have the inward witness of the Holy Spirit who can just tell us. So here they are. The 12 is complete again. And this group of around 120 is basically hiding in the upper room and they're gathering together. There's anticipation that the Holy Spirit is going to come. They've been quite private at the moment, but we're going to see everything changes when the Holy Spirit comes. Hey, this is Ryan Rufus, and I hope you enjoyed this last chapter. Could I ask, if you've been blessed by the Grace Bible Commentary, would you consider making a donation to New Nature Ministries to help support the ongoing work of the Grace Bible Commentary? That would be greatly appreciated. To do that, simply go to newnatureministries.org. Thank you, and God bless.